You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. See, thank you for the, the back corner. I appreciate that, guys. Thanks for being for me, here for me all the, way, all the time. Well, my name is Walter. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm grateful you guys are with us this morning as we conclude our series in our core values. These are the things that we believe in. These are the things that we want to live by and espouse within the local church. And today we're going to be talking about this scary, messy topic of evangelism. But as we get into that, I want to ask you a question. Do you guys remember your kindergarten graduation? Anybody? No? It probably wasn't very important or impactful to you, but I can remember my kindergarten graduation like it was yesterday. It was one of those moments that I I would tell you just changed the trajectory of my life. It was one of those days that as I look back on that, I know that who I am today, the things that I strive for were begun on that day. You see, this kindergarten graduation was like all the rest of our kindergarten graduations, right? You have the cap and gown, you take the cute pictures, you know, you sing a song or two, all's there. I couldn't tell you what happened with any of that. But what I do remember is standing out on the front lawn of Edwards Elementary, standing out there with my family, everybody's excited, and my father looking at me and telling me, looking me straight in the face saying, this will not be the last graduation you have. This is not going to be the last graduation ceremony we go to. You see, what my father was communicating was that he had a high school education and he knew that the greatest thing he could do was to work in a local mill to provide for his family. He knew that was the limit of where he was going to go. And what he believed was that if we were to continue to move past that, if we as his children were going to do greater things than him, we were going to have to do further things like going to college. I was the first person in my family to go to college and graduate. Like, this is the type of trajectory my father wanted us to experience. And and I can remember that day knowing as I look back on the things I've done with education, even working for a college now, that that moment, that day set the trajectory for the rest of my life. That day changed and shaped who I am. It gave me a target to pursue. See, we're, we're talking about these things today. We're talking about this kindergarten graduation because we're all striving to be something, aren't we? Like we all have something we want to be at the end of the day. Whatever it looks like, whatever our goal is, we're all looking to become something. Now, as Christ followers, our target should be to be like Jesus. Our target should be to grow to be more like him on a daily basis. That requires us to not only strive to grow in the faith, but it requires us to live in a certain way. You see, I believe that as we begin to think through who we are and who Jesus has called us to be, one of the things that he has called us to be is ultimately evangelist. He has called us to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus to the world. Now, why might this be? Why why would I say that? Well, when you look at the New Testament, when you see all the things that Jesus would say about his people, it's all rooted in this idea that you're now a new creation. You're a new person. You're no longer what you once were. Now proclaim to the world who you are. And so today, if I might, I want to take you on a journey through the scriptures, just simply looking at a few different passages to answer these questions of why do we believe evangelism is so important? Why do we believe Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the lost? What are we to say? How are we to do these things of evangelism? And so today, we're going to jump right in. We're going to look 
if you'll flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. We're going to really start with this first question, why? Why is Jesus so concerned about evangelism? Why are we to be people who are committed to sharing the good news of the gospel? The words will be on the screen, but you can flip over there in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why do we care about sharing the gospel? Why do we think sharing the gospel is important to us as Christ followers? See, ultimately, we share the gospel because we've been made new. Paul tells us very clearly here in the scriptures that once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, once we were separated from God by our sin, once we had no hope, we were without life, we were condemned because of our decisions. Yet now we've been made alive together in Christ. See, Paul's making very clear there's a dividing line, there's a break between the two, that this dividing line exists to show God's great work in you and I. See, in this, he's saying this dividing line exists, this new creation has been begun, and with this new creation, we're to now do what? We're now to live out, to work out this ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? Well, he tells us here very clearly that we're ambassadors for Christ. Now, maybe you don't know what an ambassador is. That's what our role is supposed to be in this kingdom. But an ambassador, just to sum it up, is someone who's formally recognized as a representative of a country or kingdom or specific person. So this is God himself telling the world, these people that you call Christians, they are representatives of me. That wherever they go, they have full authority to speak on my behalf. Wherever they go, they have the ability to proclaim things that are binding, just as I would say them. That if you see them, you are seeing a reflection of me. This is who we are. We are people who've been transformed by the gospel. And we are telling others about the one who transformed us. Notice here that Paul says that God is making his appeal through us. I want you to be very clear about what Paul's saying, that God making his appeal through us. He's laying out this idea that the weight of evangelism, the weight of gospel transformation, it does not rest upon our shoulders, but it rests upon God's shoulders. You see, God is the one who's doing the work here. We are merely his voice. We are the ones who are proclaiming his message. And it is through his Holy Spirit, through the power he has given his people, that he will do the transforming work. 
It is through him that this work of gospel transformation will be done. I, I hope you see that as an encouragement to you because I think it's a freeing truth in evangelism to just simply know that God is the one who does the saving here. God is the one who does the saving. Yeah, we want to be clear. We want to be compelling. We want to be truthful in everything we say. But at the end of the day, no human words have ever led someone to repent of their sin. No matter how cute your, your gospel presentation is, no matter how polished it is, no matter how reasoned and articulate you are, your words are not going to see anyone repent of their sin. Yes, our words matter. But ultimately, the God who changes hearts and minds through his Holy Spirit matters more. At the end of the day, as we look at this idea of evangelism, God is the one who is doing the work. We are merely proclaiming the good news of the one who has redeemed us. We end this section of scripture with this familiar refrain from Paul here. Verse 21 is essentially a short and sweet summary of what the gospel is. See, Jesus took upon our sinfulness when he didn't have to. Jesus would have been justified to dwell in the heavens and leave us to rest in our sin, but he chose to mount what is perhaps the most incredible rescue mission you could ever see in history. That he came and lived the perfect life that you and I have not lived, that we could not live. That he came and he became sin. He bore the weight of our sin upon the cross so that we might become righteous through our trust in him. You see, this is a summary of the gospel message. This is what Paul is pointing to, that we are representing this message, the hope of the world packaged in a single verse. This is what we are proclaiming to the world, that we were once condemned and someone came into our life, changed who we are, and now we have life and hope. Do you know who the hero of that story is? It's Jesus, not us. You know who's the one who's going to bring any type of saving effect to the world through that message? It's Jesus. It's not us. This is the message. This is all we have to offer in evangelism. This identity of who we are, we were once dead, but now we live, should lead us to desire to proclaim to the world that we have been reborn, we have been redeemed. Now, if we take a step back here for, for just a moment, I recognize the reality that if you're here and you're a Christ follower, you're, you're probably like me and you're going, yeah, I, I really do want to share the good news of the gospel. Like Jesus has transformed my life. I'm a new creation. I'm no longer the person that I once was. Of course, I want to share that message. And maybe you get stuck in the, what should I say? Who am I supposed to share the gospel with? When am I supposed to do it? Well, Lucky for you, we're going to answer some of those questions today. You see, if indeed we believe that we are supposed to share the gospel, that leads us to this big picture question, what is it that we are supposed to say? Well, I think that Jesus has given us a good picture of what we're to say and how we're to explain the good news of the gospel in Luke chapter 8. See, in Luke chapter 8, if you want to flip over there, the text will be on the screen. We have this moment where Jesus then begins to interact with a man who's possessed by demons. So look with me at Luke chapter 8, verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. 
Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people in the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he, Jesus, got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. We step right into this passage here, and and this is one that maybe you've read in in your time in the Scriptures where Jesus encounters this man who is possessed by demons, and when he's exercising these demons, he casts them out, and he puts them into the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff, right? You're familiar with this passage, maybe. The point isn't what happened there. The point is the response afterwards, after Jesus has done this work. You see, everyone's in an uproar over what's happened. They can't believe this man is cured for years. He's been chained up. He's been running through the tombs. I mean, he has been a nuisance and a terror to the people of this city for years. And now he's just as normal as the next person, sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed, looking normal, speaking, interacting with people. He's been completely transformed. Now, rather than being overjoyed by this, the people, they ask Jesus to leave. They say, I don't know quite what's happened here, but, you know, this guy Jesus has done something pretty incredible. We need him to go, right? This is kind of scary to us. And so as Jesus is leaving, this healed man says, hey, Jesus, can can I go with you? Right? I want to go with you. You've done something incredible in my life. I want to follow you. And Jesus tells him, no. See, Jesus tells him no, and he sends him to his house, and he says to go home. Tell all the city what has been done for you. Tell them how much I have done for you. See, Jesus is refocusing this man's attention to a life of discipleship in his own village. He's to take the good news to his people and to share what God has done. Can I just tell you a truth about what we see here? We make evangelism really complicated when we start to talk about what to share. We, we make it really complicated. And, and I would submit to you that it's really not that hard. It really isn't. We're simply telling others of what God has done for us. I mean, that's what evangelism is. That if you know enough to believe in the gospel message of Jesus, if you know enough to follow him, then you know enough to tell others what God has done, Right? I mean, this is a basic level of summary, but D.T. Niles once wrote that evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I mean, that is it. That is the message we have. That is what we're doing in evangelism. I, I, you know, I know it's more complicated than that sometimes, right? There's, you get weird questions. You get these crazy things people ask, and, and there's just a lot that happens in there. But is it really more complicated? Is it really that much more complicated than sharing the story of what God has done for us? Is it really more complicated than simply even sharing our testimony, right? You know, I think this is so easy that you can do it in 15 seconds or less, right? Here, I'll do it for you right now. 
Hey, my name is Walter. There was a time in my life when I was lost and without hope. But then I met Jesus. And now I have hope and certainty. Do you have a story like that? We've just had a gospel conversation. I've simply in less than 15 seconds, I've told you about my life before Christ. I've told you about what changed my life. And now I've told you what my life has been like since then. And then I've asked the all-important question, what's your story? This is an incredibly simple, short version of a testimony, but we've had an interaction there. The person that I'm speaking with, they can now simply say, yeah, I've got a story like that. Here's what God has done in my life. And now we have a great moment of rejoicing with another believer. Or they may say, no, I don't. What would make you say these things? In that moment, we've had an evangelism encounter. We've had a successful gospel conversation. A few weeks ago, I was in Boston and had a chance to go up there with some college students and to go share the gospel and work with local churches. And one day as we're working with some of these churches, they have us do a granola bar giveaway. And we're going to the public transportation stops in the city and we're giving out granola bars and invite cards to the church, right? It's a very low bar. Anybody can pull this off. As I'm standing at one of the tea stops at Boston Common, handing out granola bars, you know, plastering this big goofy grin on my face and just trying to get people to take these chocolate granola bars, right? Like, come on, it's not that hard of a job. I have one guy who walks by me and I go to hand it to him. Hey, would you like a granola bar? And he looks at me and just kind of waves me off. Like, hey, have a great day, man. Just, hey, we're going to be polite, right? This is who we are. And he goes up the stairs and then I see him turn around and start marching back down the stairs and I think, I am about to die. That apparently in my southern politeness, I have offended this man, and I'm going to be killed here, and no one's going to know what's happened. Like, this is going to end very poorly for me. And he comes back down, and he's just big, burly guy, and he looks like, and he just looks mad. And he comes up to me and says, what'd you say to me? I think, this is it. I'm dead. <laughs> I, said, I, I said, I hope you have a great day. And he looks at me, and he says, you know, I've lived here in Boston for 20 years. And I've never had anyone give a rip about how I was doing. No one has ever told me to have a great day. Why on earth would you care if I have a great day? So very like, well, just very honestly, like, I, I don't know you from Adam, right? Like, but Jesus knows you. He loves you. And I would think that if Jesus loves you, he'd like you to have a great day. And he looked at me and said, tell me more about this Jesus. Right? Here's the thing. Gave this, tried to give this guy a granola bar. It's nothing, right? It's nothing. Yet, if God can use something like a granola bar to stir someone's hearts and affections towards him, how much more would he do with our testimony and our obedience to share what God has done in our life? Simply this, if God can use a granola bar, he can use you and your testimony and your story. This is what we're to do, simply proclaiming, he, hey, we have found bread. Here's where you find it. Notice I'm pointing to that empty cross. That this is what we proclaim to the world. This is our hope. This is what we have. Now, maybe you're sold on this already and you're saying, okay, I feel like I can do this. I can, I, can, I, can, I can share my story and I'll just give you a note. Like if you're here and you're saying, I'm not really sure I'm comfortable with this. I don't know how to do it. Come speak to me afterwards. I'll go take you out the street and we'll go share the gospel with someone. 
We'll do it in about 20 minutes. You can go home and get lunch afterwards. I promise you it'll be that quick. We can do it. But it may be your soul on this. You're saying, okay, I know who I am in Christ. I know what I'm to say. Where do I start? Who do I even start talking to? Well, Paul's got that covered for us. You see, if you flip on over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul's addressing this very question with Timothy. You see, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he's offering some encouragement to a fellow pastor, to a fellow Christ follower. And in this verse, Timothy command, Paul commands Timothy to share what he has learned with others. He's saying that you're going to share it with faithful men who will share it with others also, but you're simply to give away your faith. You're to share this message of hope with the world. See, Paul's explaining to us exactly who we're to share the gospel with. Essentially, he tells us we're to share with anyone and everyone we encounter. See, this idea that Paul is showing us is that we should be engaging in all of our personal relationships with the gospel. As many opportunities as we can, we are to share it with multiple people. We're simply trying to share the story of what God has done for us as we go to work, as we go through our neighborhoods, as we go to the supermarkets and the coffee shops we go to. We are simply, as we're living, sharing the story of God's grace and mercy to his people. I just want you to think about our city, Charleston, the tri-county area, and all that's happened here. We're experiencing rapid growth right now, and currently we've got a population of about 850,000 people living in the Tri-County area. That's nuts, isn't it? In about three to five years, we will have over a million people living in the Tri-County area. It's crazy. We hear those numbers and go, that's a lot of people. Now let's compare it with this number, that on any given Sunday... About 7% of this area, this entire tri-county area, is connecting, is worshiping with an evangelical church. That means about 7% of the people in the tri-county area who are going to churches like ours are engaging with a church. That means there are nearly 800,000 people in our area that have zero relationship with Jesus. 800,000 people that if they were to die today, they would spend eternity separated from God in hell. 800,000 people. You might be asking, who do I share the gospel with? I don't think you have to look very far to find someone who needs to hear the good news. If 93% of our population is far from God and is going to spend eternity separated from him in hell, then I think we know we can share the gospel with literally anyone and they will probably be hearing it for the first time. I know as you hear that, it might be a hard thing to hear, this reality that our city's getting worse. We as a church and many other churches have existed for 70, 80, 100 plus years. First Baptist has been downtown for over 300 years. And our city's more lost today than it has ever been. I, I know that's hard to hear, but as I hear that, I think, one, I want to 
grow as a Christ follower who's more capable, more faithful of sharing the gospel. But two, I have hope. I have hope because as we've already seen today, Jesus is still in the business of saving souls. Jesus's name still has power to save. His blood hasn't lost any power. It's just as effective today as it was 2,000 years ago. I'm encouraged by this reality because as we look at Scripture, we see that God has been faithful to move in mighty ways throughout the history of His church. I mean, you just look back in Acts chapter 19. You don't have to flip over there. I'm going to summarize it for you. In Acts 19, Luke writes that in Asia, within two years, all of Asia has heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Based upon population estimates in that time, there was somewhere between 7 to 15 million people living and passing through Asia in that two-year period. And all of Asia heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You see, the same God who is working in Acts is the same God who is working in his church today. I have every confidence that our God is capable of reaching 800,000 people because he's reached millions of people across history. That the number of people who will be gathered with us around the throne of God will be billions of people because he's been faithful to work and move when his people have been faithful to do their part. Now you've heard all this and you're thinking, well, there's so many lost people. When am I supposed to share the gospel, right? Like, is it just as simple as I walk up to them and start talking? Is it as in a grocery line? Is there something I can do? Like, what, when do I share the gospel? Well, Jesus has an answer for us there too. Jesus has an answer for us there in John 12. If you want to flip over there, you'll see it on the screen. But in John 12, verses 24 through 26, Jesus says these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You see, this parable that Jesus is offering us here is one that he's speaking to a group of farmers with, and it's something they'd be very familiar with. I don't know what you know about seed germination and all that. I'm going to show my redneck farm roots here, so forgive me. But in order for a plant to begin to grow, the seed must die. I don't know if you knew that, right? But the way germination works is that when the seed dies and cracks open, that's because there's a new life that is formed within it. That sprig, that green sprout that comes up out of the earth, the only way you reap a harvest is if that seed dies. You cannot get anything from your garden unless you have a bunch of seeds die to themselves. Maybe you can see where Jesus is going with this. You see, Jesus is following this example with this language of, of loving the world versus hating our lives, living for him. See, he's explaining that the only way we can truly follow him is by giving of ourselves and becoming more concerned with others. 
You see, if we're faithfully serving Jesus, we're going to look and act a lot like him. And if we're looking like Jesus, we're acting like him, the Father is going to be pleased with his servants. Now, maybe you're asking, Walter, what does this have to do with evangelism? Like, it seems like it's out of left field, right? You see, this means that we are going to be willing to put the eternal destiny of others ahead of our discomfort, our awkwardness, and our fear. This is what self-sacrifice and giving means of ourselves. That we're going to say, I know it's awkward, but I'm going to share the gospel with this person. I'm afraid to do it, but I know that Jesus is going to be with me because he's promised he'll be with me. I know that it's scary to consider sharing the gospel with people that you interact with, but consider this fact. There are people that you live, work, and play with who are separated from God because of their sin. There are people in your neighborhood, maybe even in your own home. There are people in the office you work in, with the organization you work with. There are people you interact with on a daily basis that are far from God. Maybe it's your favorite barista. Maybe it's the person who greets you at the checkout aisle every time you go through food line. I don't know where it is. But what I do know, that you are in relationship with someone or multiple people who are far from God and desperately need to hear of a saving grace from Jesus. Simply put, if they continue on the path that they are on, they will spend eternity separated from God and they will dwell in hell for all eternity. Yet, you and I might be able to see that story change if we play our part in proclaiming the good news of what Jesus has done for us. That we are merely instruments in the hands of the Redeemer, proclaiming His goodness, simply sharing what He has done for us. Yet in that moment, God in His grace and mercy might change their hearts so that they finally hear and respond to this good news that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Charles Spurgeon said this in a sermon in 1860. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Simply put, this is the heart of the Father right there. This is the heart of the Father that his people would recklessly live so that the world might know of who he is and what he has done. I, I would just simply ask you this. What is your comfort worth? What is your comfort worth? Are you willing to live your life in comfort and peace knowing that people around you are going to spend eternity in hell? And perhaps you are the one who is in position to see the trajectory of their lives change. Or are you willing to risk a little discomfort? Maybe have a little embarrassment once in a blue moon so that they might see, hear, and know who Jesus is and what he's done. 
I mean, let me be very honest, guys. Like, not like I'm a superhero, but I almost got my butt beat in Boston trying to share the gospel with people, right? Like, I literally put my life on the line to share the good news with people. Yet, that's not something that is just a cursory part of my story. I travel for, airport, for CSU. I go through airports and I ride Ubers and I do all these things. And what do I do? I have conversations with people. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes you think it would be better off for me to take the seatbelt off and duck out of this car than to continue on this path. Yet the Lord has been faithful to give me opportunity to proclaim the gospel message to dozens of people just this year. Not because I'm a superhero, but just simply because I'm faithful to interact and share what God has done in my life with others. And so I would just simply ask you, if you're a Christ follower here today, what is your comfort worth? Are you willing to give up your comfort so that others might know the greatness of King Jesus and what he has done? Or do you wanna cling tightly to yourself, loving the world, and abandoning those who will spend eternity separated from God. The heart of this call to the gospel, it begins with obedience. And if you're a Christ follower, that obedience begins when you recognize who you are and begin living and walking in lockstep with King Jesus. But maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you're here and you're hearing some of this for the first time, or maybe you're not even sure where you are on this journey. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, this story begins with obedience. And it's obedience to this message that you are a sinner who's in need of grace. You are someone who desperately needs salvation. You're someone who's so valuable to the Father that he would send his son to live the life that we could not, to bear the weight of our sin and shame so that he might call us children. This is a God who loves and cares for you. And if you're here and you're thinking, I'd love to know more about this, this, this step begins with obedience, trusting in Jesus, proclaiming that he is who he says he is, repenting of your sins and following him. My hope and my prayer is that today that is indeed what you would do, that you, no matter where you are in your journey, would choose obedience to Jesus. If I may, could I go to the Lord in prayer for us as we continue in our time of worship? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for this truth that you have come to seek and save the lost. Lord, it is our prayer that this gospel message would go forth, having transformed our own lives and in transforming the lives of others that we encounter. It's our prayer that you would begin an awakening here in Charleston so that every man, woman, and child would have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus. Lord, we are grateful for you. We're thankful that you are still in the business of saving people. And we're so grateful that you have demonstrated your goodness and kindness to us today. Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.